Weirdo bookworms, unite. We want to share our love of genre fiction with you. Some readers out there may look down on you for your love of horror, sci-fi, and fantasy, but not us. So stop by as we discuss what we've been reading. Hey, genre junkies. Welcome back. This is Sandra. And this is Scott. And here we have our last book book episode of the year of the decade in fact isn't that crazy no we are gonna have one more episode before the end of 2019 and that's gonna be our our wrap-up we have to do our favorite books of the year with cocktails it's a tradition we also kind of did it for scott's birthday this year which was a lot of fun it's kind of like our signature thing is like (laughs) books and cocktails um so that that'll be cool look forward to that but today in just a few minutes, we're going to start talking about a fantasy novel, Feeding the Wolf by Jennifer Lee. And really excitingly, we have an author interview for this book. Yay! It's been a little while, and so we're excited to get back into the seat and get that interview going. Mm-hmm. So that'll be cool, because we haven't done one, and we love interviewing authors, especially female authors, when we get a chance. And it was really fun to pick her brain and hear some insight she has about you know this novel and about the writing process in general if you are into writing and the process of writing and kind of what that means i think you will find her perspective to be really interesting and refreshing yes and very honest so look forward to that we're gonna you know how we do we're gonna sandwich that in between you know how we do (laughs) don't mock me (laughs) (laughs) We're going to sandwich it in between our spoiler-free and the spoiler section. But before we do that, Scott. Sandra. Have you been enjoying any genre-related media lately? I mean, it's all the Mandalorian all the time. It is. It's disgusting how obsessed we are with that show. And I mean, and all your better people are. It really reminds me of the what, what what's now called the legacy novels or the, the expanded universe. Well, yeah, it's. Yeah. It, I mean, it's not called that anymore. No, because it's, it's no longer yeah, canon. It's but, from our childhood and young adulthood. It's written so similarly to that, and it just it 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 fills a void that I didn't realize was there. John Favreau is such a genius, and we don't deserve him. Nope. And yeah. I have, I think, did I share on this show my theory that quote unquote Baby Yoda is a clone? Uh, probably not. I think I think that was on Spooky Slumber Party. Yeah, I know I shared it over there, but I couldn't remember if I shared it here. That's one of two theories I have. One is that the child Baby Yoda, <laughs> as they are better. <laughs> known is a clone of og yoda i got that theory and then i also have just this kind of wild what if theory that the child is a girl you think the child is a girl it could be because we already had a boy yoda maybe this is a girl yoda certainly could and and who knows maybe the 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 yoda um race i don't they don't have a name maybe they uh maybe they are not gendered well, no, they could be. I've actually floated that, that they could be kind of hermaphroditic. I mean, honestly, I don't want to get that involved into their reproductive <laughs> processes because I don't think anybody really wants to go there. I don't know. I'm an EU child. I kind of do want to go there. <laughs> well, and you know what I was thinking is maybe Yoda chose the name Yoda because he was under the impression that he was like the last of his species and maybe the species is called Yoda. Well, he knew that there was at least one other because there was another one on the uh, on the Jedi Council. Yeah, that little controversial figure who 
<laughs> like everybody's like, that's another Yoda. I remember for many years, I thought of that, and people were like, you tripping. That's not another Yoda. And I'm like, yeah, there's another there Yoda another looking Yoda. thing. There oh, is. Jesus. <laughs> I got so animated in my anger that I just smacked the microphone. Yoda really brings this out of me. Um, Scott and I, like everyone else, are incredibly protective of the child. They better not drop the child in any more episodes. It's getting a little banged up. I think we're all getting a little bit sick of that. Yeah, it's not okay. Protect our baby. Yeah, that's right. Protect our little baby. We'll die for that child. Die for that child. Anything else, or it's all all Mandalorian all the time. Uh, for me, it's just it's just that. Yeah, I'm reading the Queen of Nothing right now, so the end of the Folk Affair trilogy. So that's going to be real painful. There's been a lot of tears, a lot of laughs, but a lot of tears. <laughs> And, um, yeah, just working on other shows and, you know, Spooky Slumber Party and cult show stuff. Um, Going to be doing some Gremlins-related content on the cult show, which is really exciting because, you know, Gizmo Gizmo fans have kind of popped out of the woodwork with Baby Yoda. And like, what about Gizmo, though? You know, I... What about the Mogwai? That's completely legitimate. Gizmo's kind of the original little cute baby creature with the big eyes and the yeah. big ears and the small stature too light <laughs> oh my god he's so cute um yeah very few christmas movies unless they're kind of horror adjacent that i'm well versed in but um grammys as i like to call it it's pretty high up there <laughs> who doesn't love some grammys okay so without further ado, we're going to talk to you about last genre junkies book of the decade feeding the wolf by jennifer lee as a captain in the King's army, Taryn Ellsbury led his men with courage and honor, winning battle after battle to become a decorated war hero. And though he escaped death, survived war, and claimed victory, he paid a heavy price. Not only did he lose valuable men, his brothers in arms, he lost something even more precious, a piece of his soul. He returns home with a heavy heart, too overwhelmed by pain and guilt to forgive himself. Only just beginning to heal, he is thrust once again into the chaos of war, ordered to lead his young cadets to what he fears is certain death. I'm actually going to leave it there. I think it's good to leave it there. Uh, I always like to, well, I mean, not always. I often like to not read a whole synopsis because a lot of people are like Scott, where they don't really like to read synopsises. Scott is lucky because I read all the synopses. <laughs> she does for us yeah for the show but i know a lot of people also like they do cover buys or they do just like they want to hear just a little bit about the book or what the genre is so sometimes i we do like to kind of cut it off early i think it's in interesting about this particular uh this particular synopsis because i have read the synopsis on this multiple times it's it is very accurate but at the same time this book was not at all what i was expecting mm -hmm. i mean would you agree with that I was not um, expecting this book to be what it was. It definitely exceeded what I thought it was going to be. I definitely um, almost think of this like a play, and it's like in three acts. Okay, yeah. And um, I mean, nothing else about it is really like a play, but um, it is kind of like a play in my mind where it's in like three acts, uh, kind of like in a Shakespearean kind of way of like this character's journey through these three stages. Um, it is a fantasy novel, but it's not, you know, what they call high fantasy. There's uh, no wizards. There's no mages or... Um, 
um, dragons or anything like that. It's more book, or I should say season one of... Um, Game of Thrones. Dun, yeah. It's more season one of Game of Thrones <laughs> than it is uh, than it is Lord of the Rings. Y- yes, yes. Uh, I think that's a pretty good way to put it. And because it is set in, um, obviously, a distant past in a faraway, fictitious land and a kingdom where there's kings and knights and battles and things. So maybe if you're kind of looking for a break from that more heavy-handed fantasy, uh, or you're just kind of getting into, tipping your toes into the fantasy genre, sometimes books like this are really good for people (laughs) so that they don't have to like get too stressed out with world building. Because I know it's hard for those of us who love fantasy to believe, but it's a real thing that people get stressed out with world building and fantasy. And I believe it because I've gotten close to that. So sometimes it's a little bit nicer to be like, okay, this is fantasy that's really character focused. This is very character focused. And and I understand why this particular thing is not in the book, but Jennifer... <laughs> Why is there no map in this book? We need a map. I need we a, love map. a map. Where, where is the map? Where's the map, though? It's not important. It doesn't need it, but I want it. If we send you this book, will you draw a map and <laughs> mail just, it back like, to us? Like, don't sign it. Just draw just a map. Just draw a map. <laughs> Uh, I love a book with a map. We love a book with a map. I love a book with a map. We love maps. It just sets up. It just sets it up so beautifully for me. Yeah, like oh, there's a whole land. <laughs> I don't know. It's so <laughs> geeky and wonderful. Love a book with a map. Um, uh, map aside, <laughs> it's still um, experience <laughs> score. I was actually gonna have you go first. Okay. Um, Feeding the Wolf is a solid page turner for me. Okay. I was incredibly engrossed in this book. I read it in two sittings. Mm-hmm. I I really just found it really just incredibly interesting on the character choices and the the progression of the story and the progression of of where the characters were going. I really wanted to see where they ended up. I really cared about Taryn. I really cared about his success and his recovery. Mm-hmm. And it just it just completely grabbed me. Uh, I totally hear you on that. For me, this book started as solid, solid good read and then turned into a page turner for me. Um, and that, you know, sometimes that's a mood and that's like a mindset. But um, I really, really cared about Taryn a lot. I liked all the characters. Um, there's a character that comes along later in the book called Amelia, who I really kind of bonded to. But um, I really liked Taryn a whole, whole lot. And uh, that kind of leads me into kind of a overarching theme of this book that I don't think is addressed enough in any genre, but especially in horror, sci-fi, and fantasy, which is mental health. Agreed. I don't think you can talk about this book and not talk about mental health. I think that that mental health is the the actually pretty. I was going to say unspoken, but pretty directly referred to main character of this book. So Scott, <laughs> if may I call you Scott? <laughs> you may. May I call you Sandra? You may. Um, we've read a lot of books. We've read a lot of fantasy books. Yeah. Before before genre junkies, even have you ever read one where a healer heals people's mental health? Absolutely, a first. Wasn't that something? It was fantastic. There's a character named Grace who's a healer, but she doesn't just set bones <laughs> and give you tinctures. <laughs> she heals people by talking to them 
like a therapist. Yes. There's... Why are there not more like that in books? Why is that not a thing? Because, you know, it's it's very easy to kind of create this this idea in your head that, okay, I'm writing fantasy, so it's it's kind of a historical sort of thing, and they didn't really know about mental health back then, which is partially true, but it's fantasy. Yeah. It can be whatever you want. Right. And I think it's really brave and interesting that Jennifer had made mental health be such an important part of this story mm-hmm. in this setting. I've read uh, never quite to the same level, but I've read science fiction mm. stories that that deal in mental health, particularly post traumatic stress disorder. Uh-huh. This is the first fantasy that I can think of that that not only touches on it, but mm. but highlights it, emphasizes it. Our world in general is turning more towards a place of being like really open about mental health and physical health as well. Um, I haven't really talked about it a whole lot on this show, but a lot of people know. I have PCOS, which uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, if you want to look it up. And it's uh, a big challenge. And it's a crazy way that's changed how I live my life. And it's not something that's well spoken of. And uh, even more so, we don't talk about mental health a whole lot on this show. Honestly, I don't talk about my mental health because I imagine it's very boring. <laughs> <laughs> I think other people's mental health journeys are interesting, but I imagine mine is boring. But uh, it, but I, I mean, I have it. I have a mental health journey. I have um, depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive, and I'm bipolar. <laughs> and, you know, and I've done a lot of work for it and I still do. And it's not that I'm ashamed of it or anything. It's just like, like I said, I, I, it just doesn't really come up. I don't know. But it's nice when we have books and characters and stuff that's like, hey, this is like something I'm going through. You know, I never really thought about it, but you are right that mental health is becoming less of a stigma phrase. Um, but we as a society have still not got quite got to the point where we openly talk about our mental health with others. Our physical health is a little bit more acceptable now. Yeah. And, and it's accepted that, you know, society has accepted more that it's okay to have mental health issues and it's okay to seek help for those issues. Yes. But it's still a bit of a stigma to openly talk about it. Yeah. And it's so funny. And like, I was thinking about that with like, if I was going to talk about mine and I was like, eh, nobody cares. It's not interesting. So what it is. <laughs> well, thank you. And like I said, I love hearing about other people's mental health journeys. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, I was like, well, what a nice time to throw it out there that if like you're a genre junkie, um, that's just something else you can know about me is that I'm on a mental health lifelong journey as well. Well, I guess I should join in on this since we're, you know, we're 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 sharing, we're, we're sharing and we're we're destigmatizing it. Yeah. I have my own mental health journey as well. I mean, yeah. I have I have general depression, but I also have pretty severe seasonal affective disorder. Yes. It, this time of year is very difficult. Yeah. Uh I think it's you know, when it gets dark, you know, when it, when it when it stays dark late and it gets dark early, it's hard. And uh-huh. it's it's hard to stay motivated to do anything. And so, you know, I I I think what's important when it comes to mental health is it's never one person's is worse or better or less <laughs> or more than someone else's. No. Everyone else's journey is their own. Yeah, it's not a competition. <laughs> and everyone has one. Yes. I don't there's there's no one on this earth that does not have some sort of mental health journey. They may have addressed it or not addressed it, but it's there. Right. It's like, I'm so fine and I'm so perfectly well balanced all the time. It's like, hmm, 
Okay, I start to get suspicious of you. Um, but no, that's it's great. And you know what? If Captain of the King's Army, Prince Taran, can talk about it, by God, we can talk about it on <laughs> Junkies. Um, how about an appeal score? Uh, I'm going to go first on this as well. Hit it. I am giving this the very rare mass appeal score to this book. Oh, that is rare. That is rare. We don't we don't just hand those out. I think that this is not just for fantasy readers. Oh I think that this is incredibly well written when it comes to, you know, as we've just been dis- discussing his mental health journey. And everyone, I feel that there's something to relate to almost anyone in this book. And I think that that's really special and that's really powerful. And, and you know, there's nothing in there that's going to turn off people who are, quote unquote, not into fantasy mm-hmm. because it's not... It's it's low fantasy. Yes. Not not fantasy light. It's low fantasy. Yeah. And I think that that actually feeds into it even better. There's there's everything is explained in a human natural way and everything is is realistic in that sense and and for that reason i think that this is a this is a powerful book that anyone can enjoy i agree and i was actually leaning somewhere in between but i think you swayed my vote over into mass um mass appeal i agree because like i kind of mentioned earlier like if you're kind of just getting into fantasy or you're kind of dipping your toes in this is a a comfortable place to do it this type of book or if you've read a ton of fantasy and maybe you're looking for a kind of a different take or a different perspective this is um a nice opportunity for that too and i want to touch on one other thing that that before we go into our spoiler section it's about the writing style oh come on this is a very uniquely written book to me where it where jennifer definitely writes this story in a sense where it's you can tell it's kind of written in one go like mm. it's 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 like a creative writing prompt but turned up to 11 uh. in, in a good way uh-huh. which which is a really unique way to write a mass published book that really works very well for this story and so this is this is a unique book as well that i recommend that you are dear listeners read <laughs> Because it is not written like many other books that we have reviewed on this show in the past. Yeah. And it's a really good example of this style of writing. Ooh, that was really well said, Scott. I don't I don't know that I could say it any better. That's pretty accurate, actually. My hat. I tip my hat to you. I take your hat. <laughs> I wear your hat. I am your hat. I become your hat. We were just talking about Canada, America's hat. Kidding, <laughs> kidding. We love you, Canada. Yeah. We have a new uh, listener in Canada who wrote us a really nice review. Oh, yes, we. Yes, uh, Sydney RL in Canada had left us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, I didn't catch it when you first left it because we're not in Canada, but I did just get notification. And thank you so much. Thank it was very, you. very, very sweet. We don't do a whole lot of like um hey comment like subscribe <laughs> messages on this show but comment like and subscribe <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but we really do like it and we do like to hear from everybody um it's really cool and you know we we have a pretty good presence on social media at least my god we try uh instagram anyway 
uh, Scott gets overwhelmed with Twitter. So, uh, but we are available to you. And, you know, if you listen on Spotify or Apple or whatever, we really deeply appreciate it. And thank you for doing so. Yes, thank you so much. And without further ado, why don't we talk to this author, Jennifer Lee, and see if we can find out a little bit more. And then we'll see you for some spoilers. All right, everybody. And without further ado, as promised, we are going to kick off our interview with today's author, Jennifer Lee. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. (laughs) Is it Lee or is it Lay? I just realized I messed that up. It is Lee, although my son, for whatever reason, insists on calling me Lay. It's, but it's Lee. You're <laughs> oh, right. You got it. Yay! Got it in one. Good job. Got it in one. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Off to a great start. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Well, this is really exciting for us to get to talk to you. Uh, we haven't had an interview in a little bit, and oh, we wow. especially love to interview um, uh, female authors whenever we get a chance. Oh, cool. Well, then you've come to the right place. <laughs> All right. Awesome. (laughs) Scott, do you want to kick us off? Yeah. So I just want to start right off right at the beginning. And what inspired this story? Wow. That that question is the number one question I get asked about this book because no one seems to understand. So it's based off of an old Cherokee or uh, Native American legend where an old man is talking to his grandson about the two wolves that are inside of us all, right? We have a good wolf. We have a bad wolf. They're kind of warring against each other all the time. Mm -hmm. And the wolf that wins is the wolf you feed. So basically, it's all about not giving in to the negativity in your life and making sure, you know, you're not getting overwhelmed by all of that. And you're feeding the good wolf the whole time. So my story, my poor hero, Taryn, is just besieged with all of these negative emotions all the time. And he's constantly struggling to not feed that wolf you know, basically for months and months after he gets back from war. Okay, the legend, that's really, really beautiful. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So do you have do you have experience with that sort of with that sort of mythology in the past? Or is this something that you researched in in writing this book? You know, it's I'm kind of ashamed to say I didn't do any research whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) Don't judge me by that, please. No. Uh, But I've always I've known about this legend for a long time. I've kind of seen it out there just in random searches for book topics and things like that. And one day my daughter was talking about something, I don't know, and she came up with this line and she just said, mom, it's like there are bodies everywhere. And I was like, oh my gosh, what a great opening line. And I thought about bodies being everywhere and and who that would pertain to with, okay, a soldier. Mm -hmm. All right a young soldier and there's bodies everywhere and I love fantasy. So I'm going to choose fantasy. I thought, all right, what's this guy's story? It's the bodies are everywhere. So obviously the battle is done and now what happens to him? Well, now basically he has PTSD, right? So it's about this poor guy who has all these problems in the aftermath of what he's seen and done. And then trying to deal with all that kind of blends into this feeding the wolf mythology, the dark and the light, the good and the evil, all that warring within us all the time. Wow. I mean, there's like Scott and are like in awe. <laughs> We're like, that's deep, man. But it is deep. It's actually quite deep. <laughs> it sort of is. But I'm again, I didn't do any research into PTSD. And in retrospect, I probably should have. The book just kind of came out of me and turned into what it is. And yeah, 
poor Taryn just having to bear the brunt of my strange neuroses, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that kind of happens, right? Like characters kind of take on a life of their own. And we get that all the time from authors that we talk to is they're like, I don't choose what this character does. It talks to me. Yeah, it's so true. And my organic writing style that sometimes gets me in trouble, but more often than not works out for the better that you're so right. All of a sudden the characters will do something, say something, or they'll just appear on the page also they just kind of grow into existence without you even conjuring them it's pretty cool uh so did you always want this book to be a fantasy or did you for a little while think that it could be a contemporary science fiction um no i think fantasy overall i've written five other books and i they're all kind of different genres and i discovered that fantasy was my favorite to write from so i thought well if i'm going to have this book be the best it can be and the best representation of my writing, then I'm going to write with, you know, start with the best of me, which is fantasy. So it, it always started out that way. Nice. So we've often described that like Scott and I in our interests, like in a, if you look at it as a Venn diagram, like I'm like more the horror, he's more the sci-fi and fantasy is like where we overlap <laughs> and like have a shared interest. <laughs> um, who are some of your favorite fantasy writers or fantasy novels? Oh, gosh. Um, I love Sarah J. Moss. Yes. Series. <laughs> I know you like that too. Yes. Um, her Court of Thorns and Roses series isn't quite as dear to me as the Throne of Glass, mm. but still I enjoyed it very mm. much. I've actually read it twice oh all the way God. through. This yeah, I'm an avid, avid reader. Um, Jay Kristoff is another favorite, although he's kind of a hybrid. I just finished a series of his, The Nevernight Chronicles, right. which was very fantasy to me, but I'm also now reading his Aurora Rising, which is more of the sci-fi. So I kind of am a hybrid blend too, actually. Nice. Okay. Um, yeah, I was going to say kind of on that note, how about sci-fi? Yeah, I'm not a huge sci-fi fan, but I did enjoy um, books like The Hunger Games, the Divergent series, the Illuminae Files, actually, which is another Jay Kristoff, yeah. uh, things like that. So kind of something that sort of almost has a little bit of a magic sort of element to it or a fantasy element to it. Uh, and also dystopian. So I don't know if that's considered sci-fi. Probably not as much, but it yeah, certainly can more be, fantasy yeah. than anything. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, Jay Kristoff, um, I think of the Illuminate, he wrote that with another author too. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, very cool. I think you and I are a little bit the same Star Wars. Scott's more like uh, spaceships and whatnot, and I'm more like the, well, what if, <laughs> you know, worst case scenarios. <laughs> Yeah, agreed. No, totally. That's a perfect way to describe it. You're more Star Wars. He's more Star Trek. Got it. <laughs> oh, he looks wounded. I, I, I <laughs> he says right I'm a Star Wars. <laughs> I, oh, I, I okay. am a Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> but you're also and a Star Trek. Yes, exactly. More than I am. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I've watched like four episodes of Star Trek in my life, so I think you I think you are. I, I like them both. Because <laughs> I just like them both. You can like them you both. Can. Absolutely. <laughs> So, uh, Jennifer, what is your favorite part of the writing process? Wow. Um, well, the process is so multifaceted. And for me, being an organic writer, I don't really have a starting point. I just kind of jump in wherever the mood takes me. So sometimes I'll even start with just something simple like the title, coming up with a title mm -hmm. or coming up with a character's name or a place where they're from or the color of their eyes. <laughs> it's, it's super <laughs> random. But overall, for me, the best part is just creation. It's taking something from my brain, a thought, a, an inspiration, an image even, and putting it onto the page with words 
in a way that someone else could potentially see what I'm seeing. So that's definitely um, what kind of calls to me with the whole writing in general is that creation process. Oh, very cool. So you've used a term that I haven't I haven't heard before, and I think I understand it. But if you could explain it, uh, you, you said you're an organic writer. Can you can you explain that? Well, the way I understand that I've applied it to myself is that I don't have a super strong outline. Mm. Usually when I start to write, I have a more of a nebulous idea, something that kind of exists. Like I said, a title jump from this one line of bodies everywhere that I kind of jumped off from with my uh, Feeding the Wolf story. I think it's mostly that the story just kind of grows naturally as you write it. I have a starting point usually and an end point. I know where I want my characters to go. But how they get there is usually up in the air. It just kind of one thing leads to another as I'm writing it. It grows so more organic in that way. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does actually. That's okay. cool. Do you ever find yourself <laughs> Do you ever find yourself at a point with with your books where you have to kind of turn back time and change directions or do you just let it flow? It depends on the book. I have a couple of books where it just one thing led to another beautifully. I didn't have to do a lot of backtracking. I didn't write myself into a corner. And then I have other books that not only changed direction, but changed vehicles. Like we jumped from like a bus to a truck, to a train, to <laughs> something else. It was ridiculous. And those were super hard to write and super hard to finish. So I learned my lesson a little bit. You kind of do have to have sort of an outline or a bit of a structure. Otherwise you really get off into the weeds and that's not a good place to be. So I have written myself into corners for sure. But then other times it just kind of flows out of me. It's weird. I don't know really why that happens, if it's the subject matter or the content or that I'm more invested in the characters or the story itself. Not really sure how it works, but <laughs> every <laughs> once in a while, I just kind of, yeah, write myself into a corner and have to do a lot of backtracking to get back to a, a good starting place. I'm thinking like when you're saying organic, um, I have this like vision in my head of you like writing with like pen and paper, like outside somewhere. I don't, I don't know why. It's like a really beautiful visual, but you probably don't. You probably write at a computer, I'm guessing. Well, uh, there was one of my books actually uh, that I wrote completely with pen and paper. <gasps> Which one? Yeah, it was. It's called Something to Believe in, <gasps> and it was really um, a kind of a challenge to myself. I had read an author's blog or an article or something somewhere that said you are more creative when you write with pen and paper because something happens. There's a direct link between your thought process and your body, so things flow—not literally, but flow down <laughs> your arm, out your hand, through you know through the pen onto the page. Something you don't get that connection you don't get actually when you're typing on, you know, on a word processing, whatever. So I tried that. I thought, Hey, I'm going to try it. See if it works. I love to challenge myself with my writing. I'm going to write a whole book with only a pen. And of course it was several pens, but still <laughs> you know, that's what I did. And it, it was actually really, that was one of those books that just kind of came. I just kind of flowed out of me just where I kept writing and writing and writing. The story kind of went in different places. I didn't know it was going to go here. I didn't know this person was going to do this. And all of a sudden they did and it worked out great. So yay, <laughs> a lot of backtracking. And then of course the editing was a little more arduous because as, when you type a story, when you're writing it on the computer, you can sort of edit as you go. Whereas with pen and paper, you really have to wait till you're all the way at the end before you can go back and start to fix things. So that was a challenge, but it was definitely a, a more, cre it felt more creative to me 
from the creation process than just typing on a, on a computer. Wow. So I've done that. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I, I feel justified. <laughs> Thank you. That's a really <laughs> no problem. big commitment. That is incredible. Yeah. It was, like I said, I love to challenge myself. Every book I've written represents a different challenge. I started out doing something that I'd never done before just to kind of see, A, can I do it? And B, do I like it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and go from there. Yeah. What's the first story you remember writing? Um. Well, when I was a kid, I didn't do a whole lot of story writing. I was really into poetry. Mm. Uh, when I was in third grade, I actually run a poetry contest at my school. So nice. I'm super proud of that. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I just didn't really write too much other than normal school assignments, although I loved the creative writing essay assignments way more than argumentative or any other type of essay research. Blech, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and then after that, I didn't do a whole lot. I kind of graduated high school. I went to a junior college for a little while. I met the love of my life Aww. named Neil. Uh, we know <laughs> him. <laughs> you know, right? So, you know, once kind of that happened, you get married, you start having kids, you have to kind of think about more realistic goals and expectations for your life. Like, hey, let's get a job that pays money instead of being a starry eyed dreamer for the rest of your life. So you kind of settle into that routine, right? And things from your childhood tend to kind of fall by the wayside. So I really didn't write forever until like 2011. I finally said, hey, I want to write a book. And I did. (laughs) So (laughs) as crazy as that sounds, that's actually exactly how it happened. So that's my very first book I ever published. It's called Better Off. It was self-published. But even still, it was my first foray into, hey, can I do this? And what does it feel like? And do I like it? And from there, it was just, I was lost. I am completely 100% obsessed with writing. Oh, that's incredible. Do you write um, kind of daily? Yeah, all the time. Oh, my gosh. Do you Every put yourself day. up to like a certain word count per day? No, I have found that when I try to limit myself and put little boxes around, okay, you have to do this. You have to do it this way. You have to have, you know, three acts and you have to do all this other ridiculosity, which is not organic writing, which is how I know I am an organic writer. (laughs) I find I don't like it. It feels like work. It feels like a task. It feels like a job. It's not fun to do that for me. So I say, you know what, if I only read back through what I just wrote, and that's all I do for my creative process today, then that's what I do. But if I end up writing 10,000 words, that's also what I do. So I just let it kind of take me wherever it wants. Have you ever written 10,000 words in a day? I have. <laughs> oh, oh, my, my I knew she was going to say yes. Like when you said that, I'm like, is that's she very exaggerating specific. or, no. oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, there's been a couple of days I'll sit, I'll say, okay, today's going to be a writing day. I'm going to see what happens. I'm working you know, in the middle of a story. I really want to get, you know, to the end or whatever. And I've literally got sat on the couch at like nine o'clock in the morning and I just write until like nine o'clock at night and I go back, wow, I just wrote 10,000 words. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. We have a slew- often, but <laughs> <laughs> we have a slew of authors at our back right now coming to beat down your door and ask you how. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And if amazing. I knew the answer, then I probably would be an actual writer like for my full time job. But I don't know how it happens. It just happens. And it's luck. And it's not very often. It's just kind of very random. I have to be in a certain mood, a certain headspace. Have to be in a certain physical location, you know, within my house. Everything has to be sort of quiet, not a lot of kids and dogs and all going on. <laughs> and then I have to just be in the zone. And then I'm in the zone and then I'm off to the races. That's really inspiring though, that you that you have, you know, published multiple books and you still find so much joy in it that it doesn't feel like work and are able to be, you know, that 
that productive with it or or just happy with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really feel like I have so many stories to tell. I mean, I have the five books I've self-published, Feeding the Wolf, which was traditionally published. I have probably about 20 others in progress at some point in the writing process. They're all kind of out there. So I have a lot, a lot, a lot of imagination and stuff going on inside me that I want to get on the page. So that, <laughs> yeah, that I'm always writing something, always doing something. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense when you describe your process that you would have different projects kind of going, uh, but you got to see what's what's really true and what's really working for you right then. Exactly. It's kind of like being at a buffet. You know, you go to a buffet and you're like, okay, what kind of food am I in the mood for tonight? Chinese? Oh, sweet. Here's some Chinese food or pizza or whatever. So what I say to myself, what kind of writing am I in the mood for? Do I want to look at fantasy? Do I want to look at something contemporary, a romance, an adventure, whatever? Oh, yeah, I want to write about this. And boom, hey, there it is. I already have something in the works. (laughs) So So believe it or not, on occasion, Scott and I do actually read literary fiction. So you don't have to... um You can, uh, and nonfiction and stuff too. I was just curious about some of your favorite works, um, fantasy, sci-fi or not. Oh, wow. Um, I've read, I don't even know, thousands and thousands of books over my life. Dean Koontz used to be one of my all-time favorite authors. Yes. Um, I haven't read a lot of Stephen King. I think only two of his books, but I've read every single Dean Koontz book he's ever written. So that tells you a lot about the kind of writing that I like. And then lately though, it's been all fantasy. I mean, it's, I do like contemporary romance. I have read some, um, uh, Nora Roberts. Thank you very much. Of course. Yes. And Jodi Picoult. I've read a lot of her stuff. Uh, it was very moving. A lot of research involved with her stuff. I like also though vampire books and witches and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I read almost anything you put in front of me, I will read it. And if I don't like it within the first three paragraphs, I'll put it down and never pick it up again. But if it catches my interest, then I'll read it all the way through. Yeah. That's, you know, it's bold in this day and age to to admit, and we do too, sometimes one must DNF. It's just, you know what? This isn't working for me. Did not finish. Goodbye. Yeah. And the the problem I think that we have right now with the book world is that self-publishing exists, right? So anybody can write a book and self-publish it and sell it on Amazon or offer it for free or whatever. Mm -hmm. So as an avid reader, you're constantly looking for new things to read. And you're going recommendations by friends, of course, too, and Goodreads and all kinds of other bestseller lists, et cetera. But, you know, you run out of material sometimes. And then you start kind of trolling these lists of, you know, book bub picks and whatever else. And you come across a lot, a lot of junk. And for me, the more I write, the more sophisticated, I guess my palate becomes. So that means I want to read things that are more in line with what I write. And the pickings are very slim, at least for me. I don't find a lot that I actually can stomach. I'm just like, this book is a piece of crap. I can't (laughs) believe it. It's out there in the world. I can't believe this person wrote this and called it like the Highlander's lust. I mean, just like, come on. (laughs) At least name your book something a little bit more, I don't know, creative or just, yeah. Oh, it just drives me crazy to see in these t- the book jackets with this guy, you know, with this kilt and he's got nothing on on top and it's all this gleaming muscle and flowing hair. I'm just <laughs> like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I liked those books yeah. when I was like 16. Right. Yeah, I'm guilty of that, but I, <laughs> I get what you mean, though. No, it's so true. It's like self-publishing is just it's changed our world so much. And it, there's stuff about it that's wonderful. And then there's also like, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed by so much coming at me at the same time. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to pick uh, you know, the wheat from the chaff and, and get something good. And then you stumble across something wonderful 
and you know, by an author that you've maybe never considered reading before, and they only have like two books. And you're like, damn it! Yeah, I want like twenty from you. I need more of your style or your whatever. And you're like, oh man, you're so disappointed <laughs> that there's only two books. Oh my gosh, has written, and you just want more. We've had that discussion so many times. Not, I mean, sometimes on our show, but even just like in life, where it's like, but I want to devour the whole canon. Why have yes. you not written a whole canon? Exactly. And, and why we, have you not written novellas and like <laughs> spinoff series and like, you know, exactly <laughs> more for me to devour. And then there's the ones yeah. that start like trilogies and, and, you know, five book series and they only get two books in. You're like, I want the rest, though, <laughs> please. Yes, oh. exactly. And so sometimes I'll even look if I find a book that I want to re- read, I'm like, OK, is it one of a trilogy or a duology or whatever? And if it is. Are the other books already available? Because if they aren't, I'm not going to read this one yet because I want to be able to just devour it like a binge watching. I want to binge read. <laughs> I want the whole series, every episode, all at once. Now, please. Yes. And I think that's why we end up kind of rereading some books and some favorite authors is because it's like, oh, well, I mean, I, I just needed a, I just need that hit again. It's like drugs. A hundred percent agreed. And you know, I've I've read a fair amount of Dean Koontz in my life. I was I was raised on the Koontz. I'm from one of those households where I've gotten into uh, fights with my dad over who's better, Stephen King or Dean Koontz, because my dad loves oh. Stephen King, but he's like Dean Koontz till I die. And you know, <laughs> yeah, Mister Mister Koontz can get pretty scary. He can. He's but he's also one of those where it's not so scary that you feel like you have to put it down because you're going to have a heart attack if you don't. It's one of those scaries where you need to see what happens next. And that is the, his brilliance. Ooh, I like that. I I can see that argument. Scott, yeah. you haven't read enough Dean Koontz. I think you would really enjoy him. I probably would. I don't know if I've read any Dean Koontz. No. To be honest. No. I, I can't think Blast of one off the top of my head. I know. She shooketh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you should. Yeah. Yeah. Well, psychological thriller, if you like that, that's, I think, his specialty. Mm-hmm. And the good thing about Dean Koontz, if you read him and you like him, he's written like a hundred books. So we won't have that whole problem of where I want more. Guess what? There's a lot more. (laughs) Yeah. And all of his, I don't think he has any series that he hasn't wrapped up either. So I think you're pretty safe. Yeah. Yeah. The Odd Thomas series I love. His Frankenstein stuff is really good. Oh, yeah. And all all the rest of his standalone stuff is just amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So I would like to talk about some of these works that you say that you have working in the future. Is there anything kind of near completion that we can look forward to? Well, hopefully there is one um, that I'm probably in my seventh round of editing Mm. with my editor. And we're getting very close to being done. I've been working on this book. It feels like forever. It's called Cemetery County, and it is contemporary. And it's about a private investigator who is struggling with kind of the ghosts of his past coming back to haunt him. Not literal ghosts, but, you know. Sandra's Sandra's shoulders just slumped into the carpet. (laughs) (laughs) No, that sounds actually really good. That sounds awesome. But, um... As someone who's a huge fan of literal ghosts, I was like, did she write a ghost story? I did not. And I wouldn't, I would love to write a ghost story, but no, this particular one. um, So it's, it's, and like I said, with every one of my books, I've tried to challenge myself. So this, my challenge with this one was to write all of it in first person, present tense from the male perspective. So that's what I've done. Ooh. And I've never done that before, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> now you've now you've caught Scott's attention for sure. I'm, ah. I'm definitely 
I, I'm I'm definitely interested in it because I have troubles with that particular perspective, that yeah. tense. <laughs> oh, really? Why is that? I don't know. It is always read. It's always just read different for me. And maybe it's just because I I, I grew up reading so much past tense mm-hmm. that present tense it, it definitely creates a a sense of urgency. It just sometimes it it, it just it, it it hits me different. <laughs> No, it is. You're totally right. The tense and the point of view make a huge difference with the story you're telling. So I always consider that with my story. So this one, this private investigator, he, like I said, he's kind of dealing with this person coming back into his life that's really thrown him for a loop and he's all mentally messed up. And he was sort of PTSD with this one too, now that I think about it. There's a theme, I sense a theme uh, with my writing. Uh, but he, um, it, it, there's a lot of kind of action and a lot of this, this, a uh, person is kind of running him through the gamut of all these mind games. And so he's constantly like looking for the hidden bodies over here and the criminal over there and all this kind of stuff. So it's sort of crime, but it's, it's also th- sort of thriller. There's a, he's a serial killer. The bad guy is a serial killer. So there is a sense of urgency in the story itself. So when you tell it in present tense, because the story itself is urgent, it only helps the story. Oh, that I am really intrigued by that premise. That sounds pretty, pretty cool. And I think it's um really admirable and fascinating that you've got another character coming up that's working through trauma, because I think that's what makes our characters interesting, right? Is when they're working through something really dark and heavy. And it kind of helps us as well as a reader and I imagine as a writer, too. No, definitely. It's it's kind of meaty. It's juicy. It gives you something as a writer to sink your teeth into with your character. And this is definitely a redemption story. I mean, this guy is kind of starting out on the wrong side of right, and he really needs to get to the other side. So the whole book is kind of about him exploring the mistakes he made, trying to work through all that to get to the place where he can be actually be happy or at least healthy with what's happening in his life. And in the meantime, there's this bad guy trying to not let that happen, essentially. (laughs) So a lot of challenges coming his way, both internal and external, and just kind of seeing him handle it. Uh, And the best part about the book is his name is Neil. So yeah, so I finally modeled the character after my wonderful husband. He's super thrilled. (laughs) (laughs) That is pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. We'll see how thrilled he is. Yeah, it's like, hmm. Right. We'll see how you feel by the time it all comes right. out. He's murdered done. by his wife in the end, but whatever. <laughs> Eaten by a pack of dogs and cats? What? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. No, that no, doesn't happen. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we'll just, we just wrote our own fan fiction version, I think. Sweet. Love it. <laughs> I have to say, too, the cover of Feeding the Wolf is, it's really simple, but it's really beautiful. Um, I love the typography that was chosen as well. It's a very pretty book. Yeah, I was really surprised because my my publisher, we were going back and forth. It's the funniest story, the book cover. So I kept trying to explain to him that there's not an actual wolf in this book. The wolf is a metaphor. <laughs> Okay, you are a literary publisher. You know what a metaphor is. Listen to my words. But he didn't. So he sent me two covers. The first cover was a picture of a wolf on a hill howling at the moon. No. Yes. The second picture, second cover was a picture of a very close up picture of the side of a wolf's face. I mean, head on, front on, not a silhouette profile shot but just just half of it and with a big like tree in the background and then also a full moon kind of up in the sky 
So okay. I wrote to him, I wrote back to him and I was just like, okay, for the hundredth time, <laughs> the wolf in the book is not a literal wolf. Can you please just like, it's more subtle. Yeah. It's like, it's like the idea of a wolf. (laughs) (laughs) So then finally he came back to me with the cover that you see. He's like, oh, this isn't a middle grade uh, book about a werewolf. Oh, okay. (laughs) Duh. Oh my God. So yeah. So finally he came back with that and I love it. I love the eyes at the top. I, I agree. The simple typography, the gold with the white and then just my name at the bottom, real simple. The only thing I worried about at first was the cover makes it seem like it's contemporary, but uh-huh. it's not. Oh. So I was kind of worried that people would be thrown by the cover expecting a story that, you know, that takes place kind of now. And this story obviously doesn't take place now. Hmm. I don't know. Do you think that made a difference when you read it? Did, were you thrown by that at all? Not at all. I wasn't okay. thrown by it. And no. I think it actually added to the darkness of the, just the general feeling of the book. Like that, okay, that good. just that depression, that, that dark, the darkness of the cover is very striking. And then when you're actually holding it and you close it and you're like, oh, it's just so ominous. Yes. I love that it's black. <laughs> that was yeah. my favorite part about it. <laughs> Absolutely. I didn't request that it be black, but it came out. I was like, oh my God, this is, this is brilliant. This is beautiful. So, so finally you got it right. Third time's a charm. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I wouldn't mind if you did write a middle grade werewolf book. I'm just saying, if that <laughs> yeah, means if that means speaks to you, we're we're gonna read that. Yeah, I don't have any werewolf books in the works right now. I do have a book about a shadow demon, so we'll see what happens with that, and a book about an angel and a demon who are enemies, Ooh. constantly fighting each other across millennia. Um, yeah, that's the closest I have to werewolf, I guess, right now. <laughs> We we'll, we'll take two of each, please. Yeah, we'll take two <laughs> yeah, of each and a size supernatural books. <laughs> yeah, we'll take two of each. Um, send them to our PO box. And thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, you could be my beta readers for life. I love it. Oh God, you know we uh, we've had to write many an apology because yeah. we have tried to be beta readers, but with our with the content creating what we do, we fall behind. Yeah. We're terrible beta readers. Ah. We don't we don't we don't oh, uh, wow. we don't agree to beta beta read anymore. I I know because we just we couldn't keep up we felt so guilty so you became omega readers then right bottom of the pack just the worst okay got it <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of true actually <laughs> it still hurts no, to I hear get it, it said it. yes one. it's true and it's you know what it's like we'd love to read your book we're just gonna unfortunately have to read a finished copy yep oh totally no yeah absolutely i i get it for sure <laughs> oh good <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. My feelings are not hurt whatsoever. (laughs) Thick skin. I'm a writer. I can deal with it. (laughs) Oh, right. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So, Jennifer, you are so flippin' positive about everything (laughs) that has to do with writing and and publishing. We never ask this, but what is the hardest part about writing for you? Editing. Mm. 100%. No hesitation. Editing. I actually hate it. Ugh. I hate the editing process because it is the antithesis to creation. Yeah. You're actually taking things and you are destroying them. You are uncreating because you are taking what you originally wrote and you're changing it or you're deleting it. I've had delete had to delete entire chapters of my books before. And it feels like someone is taking out a piece of my heart with a spoon. <laughs> it is so painful. Oh. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah. Oh but my God. It makes the books better. It makes okay. the story stronger, the characters more well rounded. 
overall, it's it's nothing but a positive thing. It's part of the process. You can't skip it. I have read books where it's obvious people have and they suck. So that's not me. <laughs> I want to put out the best product I possibly can. And if that means spending hours and hours editing, then that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to stop until it is absolutely as good as I think it can be. And I have extremely high standards for myself because I know as a reader that I hate reading crap. And I don't want anybody to read one of my books and say that was crap. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's it. I'm just going to have to, you know, embrace the suck and power through. <laughs> now that's, I think that's very, very wise. And I, I mean, that's the truth. I, ooh, like my mind's kind of blown a little bit. Editing is like the anti-creativity. <laughs> it's so true though, isn't it? Yep. That's why I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Scott's like, well, I like editing podcasts. That's creative. Yeah, I mean, there is a creative aspect to it because sometimes you have to put more in. You have to add dialogue here. You have to expand a section there. You have to add an intro to this chapter or an exit or whatever. You do have to put stuff in. But more often than not, you're taking stuff out. You're deleting words. You're altering things. Like I said, entire chapters, sometimes more than one. And sometimes it can also take forever. My The fourth book that I wrote called Uncommon started out as a vampire book. Okay. 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 I had an idea. I wanted to write a story. It started out where there was this girl and she was hitchhiking and she gets picked up by this guy who turns out to be a vampire. And it was all about him having a familiar who was a dog, but it was written such that the, that the reader did not know the familiar was a dog. It was written that the familiar sounded like it was a person and they wouldn't find out it was a dog until the end. Anyway, I started out with this great idea and I was well on my way. I was like 30,000 words in, which is quite a lot. And my friend, who is also my editor, convinced me to change it. And I don't know why I let her do that to me. Because <laughs> that was really mean when I think about it, you know, just to tell me my idea was crap and to start over again. But I was, you know, younger then, more impressionable. Uh, and so I did. I listened to her and I started over and we took that book Again, I was 30,000 words in. So talk about backtracking. Yeah. Scott, right? You asked, like, how, do you get to a place where sometimes you have to, like, go way back in time and start over again? I did. And it sucked. <laughs> and we spent the editing, like I told you about, I'm on round seven of my PI book of Cemetery County right now. We took 17 rounds of editing for that book to be finished. Oh. And that's after I was done writing it. Oh, my goodness. We don't start, yeah, we don't start the editing process until the story is done. So I had to not only rewrite it, but rewrite it to completion and then spend 17 times of going through the book in its entirety until it was done. Wow. Ridiculous. You, you just, you basically rewrote the book. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my what? goodness. Tiny increments. Yeah. Like I said, that process taught me a lot. That book was the first book that I wrote in present tense. So there was a huge learning curve there. Right. So it taught me a lot in that regard. It also taught me that editing can be a good thing. Because again, <laughs> the story only got stronger. With each iteration, with each round we went through, the story got stronger and stronger and stronger. And now it's something that I'm proud of. Right. So it was worth it. Like I'm like childbirth. <laughs> you know, you go through all these pains and it hurts like a son of a. And then you come out the other end and you have this gorgeous, you know, product. Ah, uh, I I appreciate that honesty. And well, yeah, I mean, because how do you know till you know? Like it's trial and error and it's a labor of love. 100%. Yep. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much again for, for joining us tonight. And where can our listeners find you? 
I haven't done any signings, not for lack of trying, <laughs> but I haven't done any signings. Uh, I did have a book launch, but it was private. So nobody found me there who didn't already know me. And my website, it's really important for people to go there because there is a gen- another Jennifer Lee oh. who wow. self-publishes. So if you just go to Amazon and search for Jennifer Lee, you're going to come up with a whole bunch of books that I didn't write. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. That's good to yeah. know. Yeah. So JenniferLeeAuthor.com is my website. It has a page that has my current five self-published books, plus a link to Feeding the Wolf, has a blog, which I publish about once every three to four weeks, and also links to my Twitter and my Facebook. Perfect. Oh, fantastic. And I, in preparation for our interview, I did read your blog, and it is lovely. Great website, oh, too. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, I don't get to the blog as often as I'd like. But uh, that's all mostly because I forget. (laughs) (laughs) You're too busy creative writing. I'm too busy working on my other stuff and dealing with my full-time job and my husband and my two kids and my five pets and my this and my that and my other thing. Yes. Yes. Very busy. (laughs) I like it. You're you're my type of girl. Stay busy. (laughs) Yes, definitely. That way I don't get into trouble, as Neil likes to say. Yeah, this is sounding really familiar. Yeah. Sounding really, (laughs) feeling really seen right now. All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. Well, I guess we're going to let you go. But thank you so much, Jennifer, for giving us an interview. It was an absolute pleasure. And I'm sure this will be something really exciting for a lot of maybe budding authors out there to hear your take on the process. Yeah, I hope so. And thank you so much for having me. It was super cool to meet you guys and to be on. I really appreciate it. That was interesting. (laughs) Thank you again, Jennifer, for that interview. And without any more delay, let's talk about spoilers. So I want to open up the spoiler section by saying that, yes, we do have a connection to Jennifer. Yes. No, we have never met her prior to recording that interview. Yeah. And yes, I was terrified to read and review this book. Yes. Having the connection that we have with her. She's a local author. Yes. I was really afraid that I would not like this book. Well, of course. Yeah, Um, same. Yeah. And when I first started it, I was still afraid I wouldn't like this book. Mm -hmm. Man, does this book book just blow expectations out of the water. It really um, it really did for me too. And I mean, of course, I was nervous about it. But I was like, well, you know, like, sometimes like, that's the positive takeaway from a book is like, this book is just not for me. But I can tell you who this book is for. But um, no, I actually enjoyed it for myself <laughs> as well. So that's always a really, really nice. Um, I don't know. It's just nice. <laughs> So, so yeah, this book revolves directly around Taryn and his mental health issues in regards to him going off to war and losing men that he truly cared about and falling towards that darkness mm-hmm. that, that, you know, it starts with depression and anxiety and an unwillingness for him to open up. Mm-hmm. 
and turns into him becoming a crazy assassin, <laughs> Well, and which like, is really badass, but also yeah. just not okay. Well, right, because he wasn't, like, dealing with stuff. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, he actually has, like, a panic attack in this book. A few. A few. But um, very refreshing. Again, I-, I think that we are seeing shades of this in a lot of genre books uh, where, you know, mental health is being addressed. But especially when you think about our fantasy characters and the ish they go through i mean they need help they all need healers look at the things like look at even my fairy books I think my fairies are walking out of these things unscathed like no they need help absolutely and there's a lot of books that definitely makes mental health part of the part of the character part yeah. of the the larger picture as far as an individual um this book t- it, it, the the main the main driving point of the plot of the existence of this story mm-hmm. the the reason for it to exist is a exploration of of the mental health of characters in a story such as this. Yeah. I would say um, Jennifer's biggest strength is writing characters and uh, specifically writing a really well-saturated lead. Um, I think that that's a really, really cool thing and a really big compliment. We've talked about before, generally speaking, we're really into character-motivated work as opposed to Mm -hmm. plot-driven. It's just really important for us. And this was no exception. And I think the fact that she made a lead hero that you could really sink your teeth into and that, you know, you kind of cared about, like, you know, like you said, like, he does some kind of badass things and stuff, but then you're like, but is this, like, healthy? Is this really the way he wants to be living his life? But he's not bad, but he's not, like, an angel. And it was just very refreshing. And even his, what what I found powerful towards the end is all the choices that he made when he was going down that dark path were understandable and even justifiable. Oh, sure. Um, But they were ultimately still not okay. They were damaging to his soul. They were damaging, you know, legally as well. (laughs) They they were not good choices, despite how well-intentioned they seemed to be. And, um, well, yeah, because, like, he rationalizes those decisions. And so, like, you're like, oh, okay. Okay, yeah, like I I get it, but then at the same time, it's like, mm, is this good though? <laughs> and then uh, the ending did something that I know you and I have touched on in other books too that we really like, where the characters, the romantic too, he and Amelia, they spend time apart, and that is huge in a book when it's like they don't just go immediately together and then they're gonna get married and la 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 la. It's like no, she has some stuff to work through he has stuff to work through and they take time apart from one another well it's very healthy it is healthy there is something to be said that i actually quite enjoyed but the relationships in this book uh with the exception of rafi and grace uh-huh. are Do you say rafi i say rafe i went back and forth in my head but i i i, I, <laughs> we should have asked. I, I kind of stuck with rafi we should have asked, asked. The we asked. I, I'm, I'm okay with my head canon <laughs> <laughs> I'm comfortable with it. I'm comfortable in this. But with the exception of their relationship, with which definitely does kind of go through like an ebb and flow and, and a slow build, a lot of the relationships are are set from a very early point in characters meeting. And I actually was kind of okay with that. 
mm-hmm. because it doesn't follow the standard, you know, writing conventions of, oh, the relationships are what a story is built around and what the characters are built around. Mm-hmm. In real life, you kind of know how you feel about somebody pretty quickly into meeting them. <laughs> I guess, right? that's, I guess that's true. I, I guess mean, that's true. I mean, how many times is like, did we just become best friends? Like, like when you have those interactions with people, it's either like, oh yeah, this is a person that I met, or oh, this is a person that I'm friends with now. It, it's very quick. And I, <laughs> what for me, everyone is a, is my best friend now. So what does that mean? <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> Uh, but the, the other thing is because it, it allowed the, again, the mental health development of Taryn to become the main driving point and not the relationships of him with other people becoming the driving point. Mm-hmm. And I actually found that kind of refreshing. And, and the characters themselves are honest, you know, they're presented in their true sense from the get go, you know. For a while, I was waiting for the other shoe to drop on other characters because I'm a very mistrusting person when it comes to reading. <laughs> it could be after you know years of reading the books that we've been reading. I kept expecting um, his sister, the princess, to to you know stab Grace in the back, <laughs> or the king to or or to find out that the king was really behind these horrible atrocities to these other nations, which is why they were trying to invade. And none of that stuff happens mm-hmm. because it's like these are who these are the characters these are who these people are Mm -hmm. they're generally kind people Mm -hmm. and they generally have for the most part healthy relationships and expectations Mm -hmm. um i'll go into grace and taryn in a moment in that regards Uh but i i like that just that 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 honesty of character in in everybody in this book it allowed me to focus on what was important that's really, really good um, takeaway from that, actually. And I think that there's there's something to that. And there's a quote that's often said. Um, it's originally a Maya Angelou quote. And then uh, Oprah uses it a lot. And I use it a lot. And it's kind of paraphrased. But it's basically, when people tell you who they are, believe them. I love that quote. Me too. And um, <laughs> Scott loves an unreliable narrator. and But I think, I think you've... <laughs> You've just been abused a little bit <laughs> as a reader. I, it could be. You've been used and abused. So go ahead. You want to talk about Grace and Taryn. Uh, okay. So the one exception to that is the the relationship between Grace and Taryn is very complicated. Mm-hmm, it uh, is. It, it, in regards that there's, there's very strong um, romantic question mark feelings between the two of them in the beginning. Mm-hmm. The two of them don't really understand the feelings that they have for each other, yeah. which is part of it. Um, slightly problematic. Yeah. Um, you know, it is it is a very unhealthy thing for someone who is in charge of someone not in charge, but who is somewhat responsible for the the healing of one's mental health to become romantically involved with that person. And it's like they kind of like know it though, don't you think? I I I felt that. Yeah. But I didn't read that. Does that well, make sense? I think so, because like they I think that they just don't really know what they are in a lot of ways because there is a chemistry to them. And then um like Grace is able to get him to open up a bit. Yes. And I can imagine that if someone is really not used to talking about mental health and is supposed to be like this strong, macho guy, that that could create a discomfort. Certainly. And I think it's completely natural for someone who has gotten so close to somebody that they know, like, that they are one of the only people in the world that know their their 
darkest secrets. And in reverse, this is one of the only people I've ever told my darkest secrets. <laughs> right. So it's like it's are, complicated. It's like should we like should we like hook up now? There's or? going to be strong <laughs> feelings around that, yeah. which is which is kind of a, a therapist's dilemma. From you know, yeah, getting too attached. Exactly. Yeah. I, and that's and that's a very real thing. Yeah. Um, I would have liked to have seen a little bit of of exploration into that particular subject mm-hmm. whether it be that. whether it be covered by by i mean it doesn't even have to be a, a guilty thing but no. just something that addresses it yeah would have would have been welcome by me yes um i agree and a character that uh, i actually really liked was rafe or raffi <laughs> depending <laughs> on what you think uh, i think he was a really good complicated character that um was also kind of like somewhere between this i'm supposed to be masculine and this is like my bro and then also like but like but i have these feelings for this girl and there's almost like a love triangle going on yes um and the fact that he just really really wants to help taryn so much uh there was a lot there and i could have used more of his character and his exploration rafi's my favorite character yeah i th- i think he's probably mine too i, I did want more of rafi um, <laughs> or Rafe. <laughs> like I, I love, I loved Grace. Oh yeah, and I really liked her perspective. I, I love Amelia too. Um, I could have used more of Rafi's perspective earlier on mm-hmm. and continuing throughout it. I, yeah. I would have, I would have been happy to see a three-part split between the, those three characters because I thought yeah. that all three of them deserved spotlight. But you know, what's funny is because it kind of leads me back to my Shakespeare comment, where there's like, you know, in a lot of Shakespeare plays, there's kind of like these supporting characters that's like, well, you're actually really interesting though. Like your Benvolios and whatever, like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Sure, they're more of a comic <laughs> relief, but yeah, like kind of the same thing of like, huh? I'm really interested in what you have to say, but this isn't their story. But it's, I could still, but I still wanted more from them. So, and that's where that's where ultimately, like my my position on the book and the and where and I feel like the book's position separate a little bit mm-hmm. because I feel that the I feel that the the main plot device in a sense is Taryn's mental health and it's very important and powerful yes but I don't feel like it was his story not his and his alone anymore. I felt like it was more the story of Grace and Rafi I I wanted it I, I, sh- I should rephrase this I wanted it to be the story of Rafi and Grace mm-hmm. and the and the direction of the plot and the story to be driven by Taryn yeah and what it ended up being was obviously more of a book just about Taryn yeah but both in both in being his story and the plot. Yeah. I I would love I, I just for me this book was the story of Grace and Rafi uh you know dealing with this poor this broken person man. they share kind yes. of yeah no I agree and I f- I found their relationships like I said this it's kind of a triangle love triangle is like a trope that doesn't quite fit here it's more of an emotional triangle yeah it's like an emotional triangle and I really um would have welcomed more of that into the book yeah. Yeah, I would have been real happy with that. Um, I really do like Amelia, and I think she really added a nice punch to the story um, because I think that Taryn needed somebody that hasn't known him in the way those other two characters did. 
And I think that that was an important foil for him. Plus, she's like the Robin Hood of like their area. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked I liked her character a lot. I wanted to actually talk a little bit about her character and Taryn combined. At the moment when they met each other uh-huh. is the point when I said, okay, I could cut the book right here. Uh-huh. And this is the beginning of my new D&D campaign with the two main characters. <laughs> I mean, they're perfect. They're perfect. Two assassin slash rogue class characters. He's multi-classed into warrior (laughs) and just, (laughs) and just go out on adventures and be badass assassins. I was down for that. Well, you know, we don't know where these characters are going to go. Oh, I don't think Taryn will ever kill again. Well, I don't think they need to kill anybody, but maybe they need to do missions and stuff. No, I don't think that he'll ever go out and do missions again. I don't. (laughs) And that's okay. No, but the way you're saying it is like really sad, though. Oh, no. I think that it was very important for this book to end with Taryn, you know, coming home and being you know being human again and feeding the good wolf as jennifer would put it i think that that was that was where this book should have ended yeah but i would cut off 50 pages for my D&D campaign. I see. <laughs> like, okay, you know, he hasn't found that happiness yet. He still has the darkness in him and let's go kill a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that, you know, if he ends up kind of ruling the kingdom, um, I think that Amelia will be a really good person for him to have in his corner. I mean, obviously they're romantically involved, but she could almost be like a seneschal or something. Like, Well, I mean, I, I, I get the idea that she would be the queen. <laughs> Well, yeah, but I mean, I but no, agreed, yeah. agreed. She, I think the 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 three of them, uh, Amelia, Rafi, and Grace, would ultimately be his counsel. Yeah, and I think that the four of them combined make a very good leadership system. Yeah, and kind of hand in hand with mental health, there's a vulnerability too that um is very appealing in these characters, especially in Taryn's arc, because vulnerability is something like that I've struggled with in my life, but it's important to be vulnerable so that other people can be vulnerable to you. And that's like a lesson that um, I took away hugely from this book. I agree with you. Ultimately, vulnerability is the the magic of the healing of this story. Yeah. You know, the only way any of them can be, you know, can be happy in this story is to be vulnerable vulnerable to someone else. Grace has to be vulnerable to herself and admit her own feelings and and explore her own feelings. Rafi has to be uh, vulnerable to Grace and admit his feelings to her. Taryn has to be, you know, ha- I mean, Taryn has to be vulnerable to somebody, anybody, and it ends up being Amelia. And Amelia is the same to Taryn. It's it's and Amelia teaches that to Taryn. Very, 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 very true. Okay, guys, I think it's time to give this one a execution. I'll go first. No, you go first. Oh, I go first. Yeah, you go first. Okay. How many moons out of five? Okay. I think that this book is incredibly unique uh, and inventive in the way that it approaches mental health issues. And I think that it's incredibly brave to put it into a fantasy setting. I think that Jennifer does a really good job of treating those issues with respect. Um, as I said, there's a few slightly problematic areas that 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 just, you know, scratch me a little bit wrong um but ultimately i can very much forgive those because of the way that this was approached i'm gonna give this 
I'm going to give this four moons out of five. And I think that it was uh, fantastic. I think that it's inventive and unique. And I think that it should be read. Ooh, I really love that. Um, I think I think you've really surmised <laughs> this book very well this episode. And I don't know why I sound shocked, but I am. <laughs> this one really affected me. It's because we've done a lot of horror recently. And that's kind yeah. of more your wheelhouse to explain. Maybe that's true. We've been kind of in that mindset. Um, I agree. I think this book is just very brave and very compassionate and interesting and very introspective for a lot of people. And I just have a lot of admiration for its source. Um, so that having been said, I am going to also give it four moons out of five. Wow. Though I'm still waiting for my middle grade werewolf book. You know, we don't, I don't think we usually agree on the four, on the four level. Right. But usually it's, I mean, this, that which just stands to how good this book is, how, how, interesting this book is. Yeah, I think this book opened up our minds and our perspectives as readers and reviewers in a little bit of a different way that neither of us were expecting. And that is very compelling to me. Yeah. And it'll be something I think about quite a bit. All right, everybody, the Yule Tide is upon us, or as I like to call it, Creepmas. Uh, Creepmas? Uh, Creepmas. Uh, Gothmas, also acceptable. But most importantly, uh, Yule, <clears throat> Christmas, and- Krampus time. Krampus time. So I guess like we said earlier, thank you all for being amazing listeners and followers and for reading books. Anybody that reads books, you're a freaking hero. Never stop. <laughs> We love you guys so we much. We love you so much. Um, this is also the season of mold wine, which Scott and I really look forward to every year. Yes, and gingerbread. And some gingerbread. I love gingerbread. Uh, I like gingerbread. The kickier, the better. You like ginger. Yeah. You, you, you could just get rid of the bread. You're happy with the ginger. I just want some ginger. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Join us very, very soon for our end of the year spooktacular. But until then, please keep reading past your bedtime. Do you like how I just like start collecting items while we're recording? <laughs> I swear by the time we're done recording, I always have like four or five items in my hands. It's a weird thing. It's like you, it's, it's like me with stuff is like you with shaking your leg. It's an octopus thing. I'm just it's building just... a garden while we record. <laughs> Cultivating little garden.